Welcome to the Southridge Church Podcast. This week's awesome message will start in a few seconds. But first, we want you to stay connected with us. You can find us on sanjose.cc or subscribe to the podcast. Well, let me welcome you again. And if you would, would you take your Bible to the book of John chapter number nine. John chapter number nine. We've been in a series entitled, Who's Your One? And we believe that God has put you on this earth for a definite purpose, that you can use your influence to reach at least one person for Jesus Christ. And that one person could be in your neighborhood. I met a person today and they said, well, we're the next door neighbors of one of the people in the church. And I said, that's awesome. I love that. Or maybe it's a coworker that God puts you there for a reason. You say, I don't like my job. It doesn't matter. You may have a coworker that God's like, you need to share the love of Jesus with that person. And so week number one, we said that God rescued us so that we can rescue others. Week number two, we learned that what real genuine faith looks like. And then week number three, we studied how Jesus was focused on reaching the lost sheep. And then last week, and I love this, Jesus the friend of saints and of sinners. We get it that Jesus liked people and was friendly to people that were like him, but he also was the friend of people who weren't like him. And that helps us to realize that we could approach this world not with condemnation, but with compassion. There's enough condemnation in the world and we can be different because Jesus was different. He approached every situation with the love and compassion of a heavenly father. Well, John chapter number nine, turn there with me, or you can look on the screen as we'll just look at just a few verses. This passage of scripture is powerful and it's great. It's got a great truth that I can't wait to share with you. John chapter number nine, verse number one, the word of God says, as Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been born blind from birth. Rabbi, his disciples asked him, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sin or his parents' sin? And it's amazing. They ask a question that they already know the answer to. <laughs> Why is this man born blind? Was it, did he sin or did his parents sin? Understand, this blind man was within hearing distance as they're talking about this. The guy's blind, he's not deaf, but how hurtful and painful would it be to be told that. Hey, here's a guy, he's begging in the dirt for scraps, can't see, homeless. Did he mess up or did his parents mess up? Is that why he's there? Kind of a cruel reaction from the disciples. But I love Jesus' response in verse number three. He said this, it was not because of his sins or his parents' sins. Some of you, you'll get a flat tire, you'll lose a job, a relationship will break apart and immediately you think you've done something wrong. You're like, oh, I knew it. Man, it's because I didn't go to church last week. That's why I got a flat tire. That's why I was late. Oh man, I knew it. God's judging me. No, God's not judging you. God's not judging this person. But some of us, we walk into church feeling that way, don't we? Like something bad happened in your week and you think it's because you did something wrong or sinful and God's like, ah, see, that'll teach you not to mess up. That's not what God's doing. I love the answer Jesus gives. 
He said, it was not because of his sins or his parents' sins, Jesus answered. This happened so the power of God could be seen in him. We must quickly carry out the task assigned us by one who sent us. The night is coming and then no one can work. But while I'm here in the world, I am the light of the world. Then Jesus does something strange in verse 6. He spits on the ground, made mud with the saliva, kind of gross, and he spread the mud over the blind man's eyes. The hits keep coming for this blind man. Just one bad day. Verse number 7. Jesus told him, go wash yourself in the pool of Siloam. Siloam means sent. So the man went, washed, and came back seeing. You know, people today are crying out to be noticed and for their needs to be met. Everywhere you go, you and I pass people that have a need and they are crying out to be noticed. Oftentimes we do notice people, but we notice them for all the wrong reasons. My boss is always such a jerk. Oh man, I can't stand my in-laws. They're always so angry and judgmental. Oh, my neighbor. Oh, man, my neighbor just gets on my ever-loving nerve. Would he just turn the music down? Why do they have to be so inconsiderate? Oh, man, I just can't stand everything that's happened in my city. You know, we just, we just, we notice things, but then we, we, we kind of mislabel them. I just got back at about midnight last night from uh, my Oma's uh, memorial service yesterday in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. My Oma is an amazing woman, amazing woman. She immigrated from Germany when she was just 24 years old. She had just been married just over a year, and she came over with her husband. And when they came over, it was a seven-day boat ride, seven days across the Atlantic. That's how long it took. Now, today, if you were to cross the Atlantic, you might do it on Carnival. You might do it on a Disney cruise. You might do it on some comfortable cruise liner that has all the trappings and everything's great. This wasn't the case. My Oma told my Opa, Otto, that he couldn't buy a Coke because they couldn't spare the nickel it would cost. And he really wanted a Coke. And she said, we can't afford it. They were allowed two boxes on the ship as they came over. Two boxes. They didn't speak English. They were from Germany and they were immigrating to the US and so they came over. They had their first child, Friedel, good German names. When he was just five and a half years old, he was playing in the alley behind their home and he was hit by a car and he died. Shortly thereafter, Gisela, my Oma, lost her husband, he died. He was 47 years old. She had three children and she was seven months pregnant. She's already buried her oldest, and now she's lost her husband. She doesn't speak English, new country, and now she has to pay the mortgage, keep the lights on, and raise four children. So yesterday when we were just remembering her, we were just like, this is an incredible woman. She worked at Briggs and Stratton for over 30 years where she retired. And she did it as a supervisor at Briggs and Stratton. Now, don't get me wrong. Our church has some manly men. And I'm not trying to be chauvinistic. I'm not trying to be, oh, toxic masculinity. That's not what I'm trying to be. I'm just saying, 
there are men, and then you go to Wisconsin, and there's a whole nother breed of man in those machine shops and those factories. It's just a different level. So when you're their supervisor, do you know what kind of level you have to be on? This wasn't, oh, she was progressive. This is modern. No, 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 no. This was in the 70s that she's the supervisor for all these hardcore Milwaukee. And when they, 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 they these are different group of guys, all right? Just different. Midwest, just, they're different. She was a supervisor. All four of her kids not only went to college, but graduated college. She raised countless uh, kids and grandkids. But as we were at her memorial service, something really cool happened. We saw all the neighbors there and all the relatives kind of came in. You see, in that day and age, you didn't have all the things that we have here. Food banks, somebody to pay the utilities, somebody that'll make sure you get your, they don't call it food stamps. They have something EBT. They didn't have that. She had to rely on her church family, her family and friends. And they noticed a widow with four kids, and they showed up and they helped. And I'm just in awe because people didn't just see somebody who was needy, but they also took and met the need. You see, the disciples, they're here, they're, they're, they're having a debate. They're having a discussion. They, they see the blind man, and then it triggers a thought in their mind. Who sinned? Did this guy sin? Or did his parents sin? Because somebody had messed up because this guy's life is terrible. So something bad must have happened. So it triggers a debate, a discussion. And the disciples are having this debate, this discussion amongst themselves. And finally, they want to bring Jesus into the debate because Jesus has been a little bit silent about what's been happening. And then they ask Jesus the question, Rabbi, this means teacher. This means, hey, you're, you're smarter than all of us. Hey, how about you settle the debate? Half of the 12 disciples think the parents are messed up. The other half are on this side saying, no, he messed up. The only problem was he wasn't even born. How did he sin before he was born? My mom would say something like this. She would say, there's no such thing as stupid questions, just stupid people. And I would just say, what? I'll open up the pantry sometimes and I'll be like, uh, honey, I can't find what you told me to look for. And then she'll open the door and it's right in front of my eye and she'll just grab it. And I was like, it was an invisible can of whatever is invisible. Now it's visible, you know, can't find it. We ask these questions and here the disciples, they're asking this question. They're having a debate, but Jesus doesn't want to have a debate. He doesn't want to have a discussion. What Jesus wants to do is make a difference. If you're taking notes, and I hope you would, would you please write this down? You can debate a person's dysfunction or you can make a difference, but you can't do both. Today, we live in a day and age where we love to point out people's dysfunction, have a debate and discuss it and never do anything about it. We love to talk about, oh, crime's on the rise, homelessness is on the rise, can't stand this, can't stand my neighbors, can't stand this. I'm just so frustrated with everything and we're debating it, debating it, debating it, and then we just kind of keep on going as if nothing. Instead of saying, no, no, I'm, I'm, I'm going to do something about this. I'm going to get into action. You see, Jesus wasn't about having a debate. The disciples, they wanted to get a discussion going as to why God would allow this happening. And sometimes you and I need to be honest and ask ourselves the question, are we spending more time discussing someone's dysfunction than making a difference? Are you more interested in their issues than them as an individual? I find it's real easy to kind of throw around labels. Oh, that per person's divorced. Oh, that person's an addict. Oh, that person's bipolar. 
We don't talk about them as an individual. We talk about their issue. And we wonder why we're not making any headway. We wonder why we're not making a difference. Because we're more focused on the issue than the individual. Where Jesus, he inverted that and he said, no, we're going to be focused on who this person is. I love what Jesus said. Jesus says we must quickly carry out the task assigned us. Assigned. This task was assigned to Jesus and the disciples to notice a person and notice that they have a need and we can help their need. Now, I'll be honest. I think I know why the disciples are debating this guy's problem. Because this person is blind. It's not like they can say, hey, there's this great hospital. It's called the Mayo Clinic. Let's get him there. We'll get him a new set of eyes and then he'll, he'll be able to see again. You know why we debate and discuss? Because we don't have a solution. So we debate it. So at least we can feel good that, hey, we talked about it. We didn't take action, but we had a discussion. So that should count for something. Jesus, on the other hand, is saying, no, no, we're going to do something about this. And Jesus begins to say, we can do something. There's a great little quote, and I'd love for you to write it down and memorize it and get into your heart and soul. It's this, see the need, take the lead. See the need and take the lead. How many of you growing up, you were in a home like this? You're watching TV, you're playing video games, you're reading the newspaper, you're reading a book. You're just sitting doing nothing, staring off into space. And all of a sudden, your mom or your dad comes into the house or whoever, and then they ask you this question. Did you not see all the dishes in the sink? And then you do this. What dishes? (laughs) I don't see dishes. What I see is a masterpiece of art. It's just kind of like, I've just kind of just, it's there. Or they walk in and say, do you not see this laundry that needs to be folded? No, I don't see any of the clothes. I don't even know why we wear clothes. It just seems outdated. We should go do something else. And they ask you this question. Do you not see this mess? Do you not see this problem? You see, the disciples were going through life like this. They didn't want to see it. The reality is you and I are going through our lives and if we're honest with each other, we actually don't want to see any issues. We would rather not see it. We would rather be like the blind guy who can't see. The only problem is we don't get that excuse because we can. And even more so as people who have Jesus Christ inside of them, he makes us even more aware of the needs of others. He gives us more compassion, more grace, more mercy, more humility, more love, more compassion on people. That's what we should be known by. But we look at the blight and the suffering of one another, and we just kind of turn a blind eye to it, and we kind of walk like this, heads down. Don't make eye contact. There's a fun little thing you should do it sometime. Whenever you walk through a mall or a busy street, just smile and look at people in the eye as you walk. You know what happens? They smile back, and then they don't know why. They're like, why, why was I smiling? It's like, I, it's like they were hypnotized or something. They're not used to somebody looking them in the eye and saying, I notice you as a person. And guess what? I'm going to give you a smile and validate that. Guess what? It's okay to see you. You're a friendly person. Instead, we walk with our hands down. Or this is life. This is it. You ever watch that person walk into a pole because they were doing this the whole time, not even looking around? I sat on the plane yesterday, and we had all kinds of changes and delays. And so I don't know why I did it. But, you know, you sit down in your seat, and then the guy sits here, and the guy sits here. Instead of talking, I just pulled out my phone and just looked at my phone. It's on airplane mode. It's not like I can search the web. It's not like I can do anything. But I just started, I just started looking at pictures so I wouldn't have to talk to him. And I caught myself, and I said, what am I doing? 
This is an opportunity. And I turned my phone off because I wasn't looking at anything. I just didn't want to actually have to engage with anybody next to me. I didn't want to have to notice their need. And then I started to talk to the person. This guy over here is from San Bernardino, and he was on work, and he's having to travel for medical things. And this guy over here, I said, hey, how are you doing? What are you, what are you, are you out here traveling home? And he said, ah, just left a funeral. And I said, wow, I just left a funeral. And we just kind of looked at each other like, what are the odds? His heart was heavy. My heart was heavy. And in those moments, we just kind of got to talk, and I knew God put me there. It was no accident. Our flight got delayed and got bumped, and I got separated from Jane. That's no accident. God put me there for a reason, and he put me there. And if I would have just stuck to this, I would have missed out on the fact that this guy right here is hurting. And how many times is something like this making it so we don't notice the needs of others? But thank God that Jesus said we need to notice the needs of others. There is an epidemic of mass shootings in our country. And it's a travesty and it breaks our hearts. I don't want to get into a debate, but there's a lot of people that think it's the gun's fault. We can have a different discussion about that. That's not what I see. What I see is every time it's an isolated, lonely, bullied teenager that nobody noticed. Every time. They were on antidepressants. They will tell you they were loners. They will tell you they've never been on a date. They will tell you they were isolated. To a T. And we wonder, oh, let's take all the guns. Is all the guns. No, 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 there's something deeper. You're wanting to put the ambulance at the bottom of the ravine instead of saying, hey, it's a heart issue. We've got people that they're isolated and lonely. And you say, but we have social media and we're so happy about it. You want to be happy? Delete social media. You'll be happier, I promise you. There's nothing on there. There's nothing. It's all fake. It's so fake. But yet we just get locked into it and it makes us oblivious to the world that's actually there. That people next to us have real things. And Jesus comes in to teach his disciples that if you want to make a difference, this is how you do it. And I get it. The disciples are like, well, well, if we heal this blind guy, then we got to heal all the blind people. You know how many blind people are out there? That's a lot of work. If I help this homeless person, I got to help all the homeless people. If I help this single mom, I got to help all the single moms. If I help this single dad, I got to help all the single dads. And man, if I help this person with all their finances, I got to help everybody. If I help that person broke down on the side of the road, then I have to help everybody. No, you don't. Stop that. Stop that. Touch your neighbor and say, stop that. Stop that. Stop that. Yeah, stop that. Because you know that's not true. Jesus walked through a crowd at the pool of Bethsaida and healed one person. There were more than one sick person there. Sometimes Jesus said, hey, I, I'm just going to heal this one. Here's a great statement. Do for one what you wish you could do for all. Do for one what you wish you could do for all. You can't feed everybody. You can't say hello to everybody. You can't pray with everybody. You can't help out everybody. But if you do it for one and then tell yourself, I'm going to do for one what I wish I could do for everybody else. And let that be known. I'm going to do for this one what I wish I could do for everyone. Because at least I'll make a difference in that one. And instead, you're debating it. And you say, well, i got to be fair. No, you don't. Fairness died in the garden. You don't have to worry about being fair. Do for one what you wish you could do for all. And then the next argument would be like, this guy's blind, though. He needs, there's little synapses from the back of your eyeball that connect to your brain that send an image that you're seeing, and your brain processes that image and tells you what the picture is. This guy has eyes, but the synapse is not connected to his brain. 
So what he needed was synaptic regeneration. That's what he needed. There was no technology to do that. So the disciples could have been like, no, this problem's too big. I would love for you to get this, and this is powerful. No problems, no power. Because Jesus said something startling in verse number three. This is because this happened so the power of God could be seen in him. God's power wants to flow through, but God's power needs a conduit, and God's conduit for his power is your problems. You and I are busy trying to create lives that are so comfortable, that are so easy, that are so without problems that we never actually have to exercise our faith. It's why we try to pad the 401k. It's why we try to build up a nice financial nest egg. It's why we try to pay down or pay off all our debt. It's why we try to get rid of all our student loans. It's try to not have any car payments, credit card payments. It's try to, hey man, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get in a safe house. And if I don't move to, to the middle of nowhere in Iowa in a cornfield, then man, I'm gonna live here and I'm gonna build a big high fence to protect me. And if I can't build a big high fence, I'm gonna put a bunch of security cameras out in front of my house. And I can't put a bunch of security cameras. I'm gonna buy a bunch of guns. And then I'm gonna have a bunch of uh, toilet paper and, and canned goods. And I'm gonna build a little bunker in my backyard because I'm gonna be secure. We try to isolate ourselves. We try to build this protected life because we don't wanna deal with problems. And can I tell you, you are missing out. When you do not have problems, you're missing out on God's power to overcome those problems. You and I actually need problems because then it shows you that God's power is greater than your problems. And every single one of us have a big problem that we're dealing with. And some of us have just written off that problem because we say it's too big for God. And can I tell you this morning, there is no problem too big for God's power. And we need to stop debating whether or not the degree of difficulty is beyond God. Because there is no situation that is beyond the degree of difficulty for God. For with God, all things are possible. But yet we hear it, but we do not practice it. I'm hoping one day we would look at the New Testament and we would allow this Bible as it talks about all the miracles and all the things that God did, that it would get inside of us and transform us. And then we see that God is a miracle working God, a powerful God, that God is greater than any of my problems. So I guess what? I actually need my problems because these help me. They help me to grow. They build me. They help me to see how powerful God is. But many times we don't want problems. You see, we need to step back and understand that no mountain is greater than my problems. You see, the mustard seed is greater than the mountain because a mountain has no growth potential, but the mustard seed does. Your faith has potential to grow. And I love what this blind man does. In verse number seven, the Bible says that Jesus told him, go wash yourself in the pool of Siloam. Siloam means sent. So the man went. Would you write that down? The man went. But think about that for a second. Did he tell, hey, Peter, James, John, uh, uh, take, take this blind man, take him to the pool of Beth, uh, uh, Siloam? It's not in there, is it? I read the whole chapter. You don't have to, but you can later. It, it, he doesn't say that. He sends his blind person alone. Now, stop for a second. You need to understand something. That day and age, they didn't have like braille directions. They didn't have seeing eye dog. They didn't have a little staff that he could tap on the ground to try to navigate as well. And don't think he's some like uh, uh, daredevil Marvel character that he has superpowers now. And it's actually really cool. He's doing backflips and somersaults all the way to the pools alone. 
That didn't happen. In that day and age, if you were a blind person, you were left at a corner that was your corner. It was close to a water source, a food source, and enough traffic that people would give you money because they felt sorry for you. But understand for a second that the disciples are debating that this man was a sinner or his parents were a sinner. So nobody's actually going to give him money because he's a sinner. And if he's a sinner, then he deserves what's coming to him. So he actually got nothing. And he was existing. So you take him out of that environment and you send him alone. Now it's potentially a danger to him. He could slip. He could fall. He could break his neck. He could get lost. There's all sorts of things that could happen. He could get robbed. What little he had could have been taken from him. This is potentially a dangerous and reckless situation to send a blind man by himself. But that's what Jesus does. And it seems cruel, doesn't it? It seems like Jesus The hits keep coming for this guy. Why would you do that, Jesus? And understand this, because this man was starting his faith journey. And your faith journey is a journey that you have to take alone. My dad was a pastor. My grandmother was a Christian. That does not make me a Christian. It doesn't make you a Christian because you say, well, my relative's a pastor or a priest. It doesn't make you a Christian because you say, my mom, my dad, my grandmother, my guardian, my this, this, and that. None of that makes you a Christian. You have to to do that. You have to make the decision that this word, I believe it and I receive it, and it's my decision. Your faith has to be willing for you to say, I'm going to go it alone. And many times we don't want to take that risk where it's like, I got to go alone. But I love this man that even though it's potentially dangerous, he still went. He still went. And sometimes people, they'll step back and say, I'm scared. Yeah, he was scared. But understand a faith that will not go it alone is not faith. It's not. Your faith has to be willing to stand at the edge of a precipice and say, I'm going to take the leap. I'm going to take this step. It's scary. I don't have it figured out. But that's what faith does. And this blind man, he goes for it. I love his step of faith, that he goes for it. And understand this, a faith that won't go, it won't grow. And our faith is meant to grow. And if you are the same Christian you are today, as you were 10 years from now, you haven't grown because you are not taking risk. You are not stepping out. And I know risk seems scary. This blind man, it's scary to leave your comfort zone. What if he gets outside of the city and can't find his way back? What if he falls into peril? What if a wild beast tries to attack him? Any number of things could have happened. This is scary when you step out of faith. I am not saying that, oh, living in faith is easy. No, it's scary. But also think about this blind man. How long do you think it took him to go to the pool of Siloam? He's blind. They didn't have a jetway for him to go down. I was in the airport, and I love those little walking jetways. Those are awesome. But if you are the type of person that gets on there and stands still, oh, we have an issue right now, okay? I have a big issue. Now, it's okay if you're on the moving walkway for you to stand to the side and your traveling companion to stand to the side because the passing lane is on the left. But if you are the type of person that does this while going along, I have an issue with you. Because I'm trying to get somewhere and you're in the way. Move to the side or just get on the other side and walk, you know? I feel like those people should bring a little chair and at least sit down so we know that they're not going to move. Like when you stand there, it's like, well, maybe they'll move. And you get there and you're like, they're not moving. So they might as well have a chair. So at least you know, they ain't moving. They brought a chair. They're comfortable. 
And some of us, we don't want to move. We don't want to take that step. And I know it's scary and we want things to happen fast, but it happens slow. This man slowly made it to the pool. How was a good marriage built? Slowly. How has a church become strong? Slowly. How is raising good kids? Slowly. I sat down with my Uncle Friedel and my uh, Aunt Clara. My Aunt Clara was Filipino and my Uncle Friedel, he's German. They met in the 70s, actually 69 is when they met. And they were there and they got married and they dated before it's even cool to marry somebody of the opposite gender. I mean, they were, they were groundbreaking right there. And we called them the OGs, you know? And it was amazing. My Uncle Friedel was like, oh, I just saw her. And he told me, he was like, hey, I tell the family, because they were all Christians, I tell the family we met at a restaurant and then he was like but it was a bar and I was like oh Uncle Friedel salacious man and uh, he was like well she walked in she was wearing go-go boots and like and I was like stop just just I don't know Aunt Clara Uncle Friedel just no you know but they've been married over 55 years and I was like that's what I want I want 55 years. And they were so funny because he was like, yeah, she sleeps in the basement I sleep upstairs and they were just nagging each other but they were you could tell love was there. And I was like, I want that. That is awesome. How do you get that? And they said, slowly, every day. You don't give up. Every day you work at it. Every day you keep going. Every day, because a faith that will not go will not grow. And yet so many times as Christians, we want God just to zap us with some faith and we just have it. But that's not how it works, my friend. It has to grow. Let God grow it. But then I see this man, he does something. It says he washed. Verse number seven. So he said, go wash yourself in the pool of Siloam. So the man went and washed. And you say, why did you even add that? Because I I don't know about you, but this is how I am. If I get something in my eye, you know what I do? I get it out right away. I'm not waiting for it. You ever gotten a little, uh, like, eyelash in your eye? You're like, oh my goodness. Can somebody blow in my eye real quick? Just give me COVID right in that eye. Just, just go ahead. Just blow in it. And then somebody goes, <laughs> you're like, whoa. Yeah, I, I got, man, build my immunity system. That's wet, man. Like, oh my goodness. When you get something in your eye, you want it out. If I'm this blind man, what am I doing? I'm knocking on the door saying, hey, this guy spit and made some mud and it's in my eye. Can you got some water? I need to wash this out. But he waits to wash it out. He lets that dirt stay there. He lets the process go. So why? He can get properly cleaned at the right place, at the right source, so he can get clean. He can get clear. And he's converted and the washing takes place. God wants to do a work inside of you. He wants to wash you. He wants to clean you. But so many times we come to God and we try to clean ourselves up. You ever watch your little children try to clean up a mess? It grows. It's amazing. It's a small little blob of paint that they were doing from their little project. And then they grab a bunch of paper towels. I shouldn't say a bunch. They just grab the whole roll, but they've unspun the whole thing. Whole thing. And then they start doing this. And you're like, it was only that big. And when they started cleaning up, it just grew. My problem got bigger. But yet we do that with God. We're like, God, don't worry. Don't worry. I know I messed up here, but I'm going to fix this real quick. And God's like, you're only making it bigger. You're only making it worse. Just stop 
and let's clean it the right way. Let's come before God and let's get honest and say, God, I screwed up. I messed up. I got, I need you to patch me up. I need you to clean me. I need you to fix me. I need you to wash me. I need you to do the work that only you can do, God. And so God just cleaned me. And this man, he allowed that process to happen. And so many times we don't allow God to do that process in our life. We're like, I'll solve it. I'll fix it. But this man said, no, I'll let God do it. And I love this because at the end of verse seven, it says he came back seeing. The man went, he washed, and it worked. And here's what's so surprising. Did Jesus ever once say, if you will go, if you will wash, then you'll be healed? Is it ever say it in the text? I read the whole chapter. You can read it later. It never says that Jesus promised healing. It was completely by faith. There was no guarantee that for all his effort, for all his energy, that he was going to get any benefit. If anything, he would have made it all the way to the pool of Siloam, washed out his eyes, and blink, 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 and still dark as night. There was no guarantee, but he went anyway. How many of you, even if there was no guarantee, you will still do the right thing? You will still step out in your faith. You will still pursue all that God has put inside of you, that God has put destiny in each of our hearts. How many will still say, you know what? Even though yeah, I don't have any benefit, I'm going to keep going. You know, my Oma never remarried. Her life never really got to the point where you're like, yeah, it finally worked out. Man, it really paid off. She's a millionaire. No. Her life was one of difficulty and joy. It was a life that she said, I'm, I'm going all out. But here's also what's crazy. He comes back and he does get to see. God gives him the sight. He gets the miracle. And then after it, his friends and family that knew him started to debate and say, no, that's not really the blind guy. That's his doppelganger. That's not really him. It's in the text, verses eight and nine. You can read it. Go read it later on. They have a debate, and they said, that can't be him. Surely, that's, that's too drastic a change. And some of you will think the same thing when you give your life to Jesus. People will be like, whoa, that, yeah, you're a different person. Because you were nasty on Friday, and now you're happy. Like, what happened? Like, you were this, and now you're this. Like, wow, what a change. Jesus changed you. And here's what's crazy. They were debating if this is really the man. They bring in his parents. And his parents are like, no, this is really our son. He was blind. He was born blind. And then they said, ask him how this miracle took place. And in verse 17, the Bible says, then the Pharisees again questioned the man who had been blind and demanded, what's your opinion about this man who healed you? The man replied, I think he must be a prophet. Wait, 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 wait. He got a miracle? His life was changed? And he didn't even know 100% sure that it was of God that did it? Here's the trouble we have. We feel like every decision we make has to be 100% taken to the bank, guaranteed. And that's not life. And so many of us will never step out. There is the precipice of God's will, God's destiny, God's plan for you. And right now, you are standing at the edge of it. And you are like, well, I don't have 100% guarantee that this is going to work out. Faith, my friend, is stepping out before you figure out how it's all going to turn out. That's what faith is. February 20th, 2009. I was in a church in National City in a side room. The officiating pastor at my wedding was there, Pastor Larry O'Barrow. The best man, Brandon Meeks, was there. 
and we were about to go out and the wedding was about to start. Jane is waiting. She's going to come in last. And I kid you not, I'm there and the day had been going great. We've been taking photos. My family's there. Her family's there. This is a celebration. And then all of a sudden, it hit me what I was about to do. The weight of the moment just sunk in right then. Brandon noticed it. Pastor Larry O'Bara noticed it. And they said, are you okay? Because you are pale person, but you are like translucent now. Like we, you are pale. You're going to be sick. And I said, I need to sit down. And I did. I was about to faint because in my mind, I was like, how well do I know this woman? I mean, we've been dating since 2005. I mean, it's been four and a half years, but, but do I really know her? I mean, she said she's been in the Philippines this whole time. She only came over a few years ago. But what was she really? Is she an assassin? Is she a murderer? Like, we're going to go on this uh, honeymoon, and all of a sudden, my life insurance policy, she's going to collect? Like, who is this person? And then it sunk in, like, wait a minute. I have to take care of this person forever? Like, they're going to be on my medical insurance? Like, I got to fill up her gas tank, too? I got to make sure there's food in there for her too. Now I'm going to have to make sure that the room isn't a nice 64 degrees when I sleep. It's going to have to be at something like ridiculous, like 95 degrees, nice and warm at night so she could sleep. And she'll still have four or five blankets on top of her. Like, that's what I'm signing up for? Are you kidding me? I don't even know this person. And I'm going to spend the rest of my life with this person. I mean, this is going to be legal. Like, if we undo this, it's going to be very expensive. I'm going to have to get a judge. This is going to be tough. You know what Jane was thinking in the back? She was thinking, I have to take care of him for the rest of my life. Pastor Larry Bear could tell that I wasn't having second thoughts. I was just, I was having a moment. I was like, this is, this is heavy stuff, man. I didn't really think about it. I was like, I just wanted to, you know cut a cake because you gotta, you gotta understand I was from a very conservative background we didn't even go on dates by ourselves we had a chaperone everywhere we use, couples nowadays they'll go on weekend getaways we never got a weekend getaway I was like how well do I know this person I mean we there's a lot of stuff we had never done my kids here so I'm keeping it very G but let's just say there's a whole lot that I didn't know I was like well what if it's bad and what what you, uh, what, what if she wants a refund I don't know what am I gonna do I'm stuck we signed, we signed this deal. It's legal. It's before God, friends, and family. I mean, what are we going to do? And, and, and the moment was crushing. And Pastor Ribeiro came over to me. And he said, what are you thinking about? And I said, I'm thinking about life, man. This is, this is it. I'm a one and done. This is a moment where, where it's everything. And I said, how do you know that you're making the right decision? Pastor Larry Ribeiro, he talked in a very slow way of talking. He was a kind Filipino pastor, wise beyond his years. And he always had a very deep voice. And he would always call me Mr. Micaiah. But he said it like this, Mr. Micaiah, that is the pun of the marriage. I was like, what are you talking about? He said, because you don't know her and she doesn't know you. 
but the rest of your life, you will get to know each other. Through the good times, the bad, the illness, the deaths, the surprises, the ups and the downs. And what Pastor Ribeiro said 14 years ago, if I, my future self could get in the DeLorean, travel at 88 miles per hour, and go back to that moment, I would grab myself by the nap of the neck and say, what are you worried about? This is the best thing in your life. Run out there and say, bring it on, hurry, skip everything else. Let's say I do because this is going to be the best ride of your life. This is going to have the most ultimate highs, the lowest lows. It's going to have its joys. It's going to have its tears and its sorrow. It's going to be messy, but it's going to be beautiful. It's going to be wonderful because this is life and this is what God has and this is a precipice but jump off of it because God has something for you and this woman is going to be the best thing you've ever met what are you waiting about what are you thinking about do it that's what I would tell myself and some of you are sitting here right now and God has you at the precipice of a big decision and you are like should I do it or should I not do it and you are trying to make sure you have 100% guarantee like is this going to work out is this going to come through and can I tell you this blind man wasn't even sure that Jesus was Jesus and how many people have you told you, you have to get saved, but you have to know that God is God 100% beyond a shadow of a doubt. What is a shadow of a doubt? No, you don't, because this man didn't, and he got his miracle, he got Jesus, he got all of it. And I'm telling you this morning, some of you are waiting till everything is 100% 100% that you will finally take a decision, that you will love, that you will serve, that you will give, because you want a sure thing, and there's no such thing as a sure thing. There's no such thing as that you will wake up with the breath in your lungs tomorrow. There's no sure thing that you will on your way to work, that you will make it. There's no sure thing in life, but you have to say, God, you have put destiny inside of me. You put purpose. And so guess what? I'm going to step out into the unknown. I'm going to do what you've called me to do. So I'm in this neighborhood for a reason. So let me tell people about Jesus while I'm here. I'm at this school for a reason. So let me tell my neighbors about Jesus. I'm at this job for a reason. And I'm going to tell them about Jesus because this is the moment. And I'm not going to let something that I don't know stop me from doing what I know I need to do. And so many Christians, you're debating and delaying what God has called you to do. And that is to make a difference, my friend. God has called you to make a difference. But yet we sit here thinking, I gotta have it all figured out. You don't. My Oma planned out her entire funeral. The last detail she wanted was for everybody to stand up and sing an old hymn called Trust and Obey. But there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey and that's what we sang that was her life she died penniless not because she was wasteful or in debt she gave everything away she gave her house her time her money everything away she said I want to die with nothing left because she understood her treasures aren't here because who's going to take it? She said, I'm going to leave my kids something so much better than some money. I'm going to leave them a legacy that they could be proud of. When we started to plant Southridge Church, you know the first person that said, I'm going to support you guys financially? A widow on a fixed income pledged 
every month a check. And around Christmas and birthdays, more. And she did not have it. And I wasn't the only one. There are pastors and missionaries all over the world that she supported. You and I think, man, I gotta have it all together. I gotta build this security. And yet God is saying, no, 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 you don't need that. You don't need that. I got you. Some of you don't know how big and how great your God is because you've never put yourself out there. And I know some of you are like, no, no, I am there. I'm going through a divorce. I'm going through a disease. I'm going through this dysfunction. And I'm telling you this morning, God is about to do something so exciting, so powerful in all of this. God is about to show himself strong in your behalf. When I am weak, that's when I'm strong, God says. And you have to get in this book and see how great this God is. I would love for you to get to know the God that my Oma knew. there are people here that God wants to do something so great in your life that you can't even imagine what God is about to do. You never dreamed that God was about to do it. But the only thing holding you back is you. And you not being willing to take that step. But the first step is saying, Jesus, I accept you as my Savior. I want to know you as my Lord. I want to take that first step of faith. How many of you today, this morning, you would say, I know that Jesus Christ is my Savior. I've received him. Would you slip up your hand? Is that you? Oh, amen. Praise God. Mm, Amen. I love that. Let me put your hands down. How many this morning would say, that's my precipice. I got to jump. I got to jump into the arms of Jesus. I need to accept him. Would you pray for me, Pastor, that I would do that? Is that you? You slip up your hand. Can I pray for you? That you receive Jesus Christ? Any of you like that? Oh, amen. I see that hand. Anybody else? Oh, amen. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, you see these hearts. You see these hands. They want to do something for you. You've called them the greater things than this. How many times do we live unfulfilling lives because we have not fully committed ourselves to making a difference? Because we were too busy delaying and debating instead of making the difference you've called us to make. God, help us in this moment. Help us to step out beyond everything that we fear and we go forward. Lord, I pray that you would help us. In Jesus' mighty name I pray. Amen. Thank you again for spending time with us today. And a special thanks to those who give generously to Southridge Church. It is because of you that this ministry is possible. And if you want to learn more about Southridge, you can follow us on social media at Southridge Now. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe or share it with a friend or even take a screenshot and share it on your social story. Make sure you tag Southridge Church and let it be a blessing to somebody else. Thank you again, and we'll catch you on the next one.